Well, beloved, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read, um, actually, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 5, verse 2. So open up your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, page 1,667 in the Bibles provided for you. 1667, Ephesians 4, verse uh, 17, and we'll be reading through 5, verse 2. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was going to say before I read that, let these words just splash all over you. Aren't they incredible words that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus talking about who they now are, the new people they now are in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes it's just good to just let those words just spill over you and get washed in them. But... Now we move on to the message. Beloved in Christ, I'm sure many of you have heard the little phrase, 
right back at you, right back at you. What you just did for me or to me, I want to do that same thing for you or to you. And let's think about the phrase in the good sense. In the good sense, I mean, that could be like a bad thing too, right? Having revenge on someone right back at you, buddy, you know. But we're talking about it in the good sense. So we got to think happy thoughts and good thoughts. Like when we say something good, like the Lord is risen, right back at you would have you saying... The Lord is risen indeed. Yeah, or the peace of the Lord be with you, and you would respond. Yeah, they're the classic right back at you liturgical elements that some churches recite those every week. Like um, we do with this is the word of the Lord. And speak to God right back at you. This, the good sense of the phrase. You ever walk through a set of uh, double doors, and this is especially true, I think, when it's two men who approach the doors at the same time. It's man and a woman. I believe a man has a certain double duty door obligation, but that's my opinion. Get both those doors for her. If it's two men, though, however, the, the, the first man might open the outer door for the second man, and without, without really batting an eye, the second man might say something like, uh, right back at you, as he opens the inner door for the first man, the inner set of doors. He sends your little act of kindness right back at you. And I think that kind of kindness, right back at you, kindness is what the Apostle Paul had in mind here in Ephesus, in the church in Ephesians. Listen to the list he gives there, a list of nays, you, you heard them in the latter part of the text, a list of nays, no unwholesome talk, no bitterness, no rage, no anger, no brawling, no slander, no malice, and then the yay list, build others up, be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving of one another. The word kind, as you may have seen, is in this paragraph in this text really only once, but that single word kind, when you think about it, that's why I paused after it when we read. The word kind, it sums up the teaching of all of these verses. Be kind. Be kind. Now, let's ask three questions about this command to be kind. First, what makes kindness so difficult and second, why do we even try to be kind? What's the reason for it? And third, how can we be kind? What, why, and how? So first, what makes kindness difficult? And uh, one of the things Paul mentions in verse 29 is that our talk should build up others. In verse 29, build up others. Now think about how hard that is. We'd rather build up ourselves most of the time. Why not why not me first? Or I've got to look out for number one. But here Paul says that we should build up others. We've got one strike against us, though, before we even strike out and start being kind. We'd rather build up self first. Build up our own egos, our own self-worth, our own self-image before we build up others. That's what society tells us. Kindness to others does not come easy because, well, we're sinners, right? And we think about ourselves first. I remember a time in grade school, I know I've told you this before, so forgive me, but when our class for several years, now let me repeat that, several years, years, we picked on one of the girls in the class, teased her, mocked her, one particular child because, well, she didn't fit in like the rest of us supposedly fit in. And seldom, if at all, 
were words that were kind ever spoken in her direction, let alone directly to her. And finally, thankfully, thankfully, a godly, wise teacher, well, he let us have it one day when that student was homesick. And boy, did he set us straight. Man, he put the fear of God into us, rightly so. But until that time, a word, a kind word, a word that, that built her up even a tiny bit never happened. That was not our class's agenda. We were building up ourselves in our attempts to destroy her. Kindness does not come easy because the motive for kindness is build up others. Kindness does not come easy. Christians like like the Ephesian Christians and like you and like me, like the Apostle Paul, building others up is totally unnatural because of sin. We've, we've got to build ourselves up, not others, right? Wrong, says Paul. Kindness seeks to build up others. Now, that's who you are. Now, what else is so difficult about showing true kindness? Doing kindness is difficult because there's something that is much easier to do than showing kindness. It's not only easier, it's commendable, of course. It's a right and true thing to do. It makes us look good, and um, it makes us look just as good as we are actually being kind. It's, it's demanding and requiring and encouraging and commanding and ordering others to be kind. In other words, it's easier to preach than to practice kindness. And, of course, it, preaching it, it's a good thing. I'm doing it right now. The, the Apostle Paul does it right here. It's, it's commendable. He's commanding us to be kind, but it precisely because this is so commendable and so easy to do that it actually doing it or modeling kindness is more difficult. For example, a, a child with their mother or father, they try to bring up their child in the way she should go. They try to get their child to be kind and compassionate, forgiving of others. They try to instill kindness into their child. But if they don't exhibit kindness and compassion and a forgiving spirit in their own lives with the child or with each other or with others, if they don't, their words of instruction are meaningless. They'll fall on deaf ears because the words spoken are just empty words. Nothing backs them up. The actions of the parents have turned their own words into, into silence or shameful inaudible whispers, but the parent looks good on the outside because requiring the kindness is commendable, but it's commendable, of course, only when conjoined with actually doing kindness. They go together. But now parents aren't the only ones who fall into this trap. Well, while thinking about this sermon, I was tempted to say to myself, yeah, well, that's a good sermon for and plug in a name. He really needs to hear this. What a great way to let him know it from the pulpit. He can't say a word back in his defense. And I imagine if I heard a sermon on kindness, the converse, I could easily come away from it saying, oh, wish she would have been here tonight. Could have heard that. How come he's not here to hear this sermon? We point fingers at others. That message is for him. She should have heard this one. That's wrong, isn't it? Of course. 
we build up others second, we point fingers at others first. So today, let's, we correct that, right? Let's point at ourselves. Am I being kind? Am I being someone who practices what I preach? Am I modeling kindness to my kids, to my classroom when school's back in session, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my family, to my mom and dad, to my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what we need to say to ourselves today. My, my wife and I, we still get a chuckle out of this when we think back when she was a teacher aide at uh, Elam Christian School where we went to, well, we, near where we went to college, Trinity Christian College in Palos Heights. One, one day, one of the kids in her class where she was an aide said to another, very much conviction, got right up into the other child's, be ye kind, be ye kind. King James English and everything. Easy to say. But the burden of kindness is, is placed on the other person. It's taken off of ourselves. But the burden of kindness rests on us, first of all, not on others. So it's not be ye kind, it's be me. Be me kind. Am I being kind? That's our question tonight. Third, what makes kindness difficult? Well, showing kindness can sometimes hurt. It can hurt us. When we show kindness to someone, we can get burned for doing it. No one wants to get burned or get hurt. A person showing kindness, genuinely kindness, may be looked down on by others as well as by the person she shows kindness to. Others who see her kindness, well, they may think it's just false, it's fake. They may doubt her motives, may even be jealous of her kindness because they don't practice it themselves. And the person she's kind to may suspect that they're being insincere, may take it the wrong way, and may resent it like it's a, an insult or an unwelcome insult. Either case, the person who show kindness, shows kindness runs the risk of getting hurt. No one wants to get hurt. And kindness shouldn't hurt, but it can. And um, in this case, it's not the person showing kindness who must examine him or herself. It's the person who witnesses kindness or is the recipient of kindness who must examine their own hearts. When we see kindness in action, either done to us or another person, do we remember the past wrongs, the past unkindnesses of this person? And think, I suppose that was a kind thing to do, but it doesn't make up for that thing they did three years ago to me. Or, it's too little too late. That bridge has been burned. Or do we think she just showed true kindness and I want to do that gladly as well? In other words, do we accept kindness graciously and thankfully and joyfully, no questions asked? Do we eliminate the risk factor for our Christian brothers and sisters so that they and we can show each other kindness without getting hurt? Kindness is not easy. We'd rather build up ourselves. We'd rather preach it than practice it. And kindness can get us hurt sometimes. So why even try to be kind then? The why question. Well, Paul in our scripture reading suggests quite a few reasons why we should try. Why try to be kind? First in verse 21, Paul says, You heard about Christ 
and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say how they and we should put off the old self that is corrupted and put on the new self. God tells us to put on the new self. This new self was given to us by Jesus when he died on the cross, paying the price, the death penalty that included suffering infinitely for our sins. That new self comes at the highest price ever paid, doesn't it? Paul says, put it on so you can be made new in the attitude of your minds, a new attitude that includes kindness and includes all those things that Paul says in verses 25 through 32. And since this new attitude was true in Jesus for the Christians of Ephesus, it has been true down through the ages, even for the saints, the Christians of Faith Community Church. We were taught the same exact truth, to be made new in our attitude. That's the new self. And we must live by it. Second, why try to be kind? In verse 30, we learn that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Think of that. We put the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in a state of grief, of heartache, when we aren't kind, when we don't forgive, when we aren't compassionate, when we don't build up others, that's a terrible thing. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Unkindness grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves God. Imagine we can cause God to grieve with the way we treat others. Think of that. It's a good thing God is a forgiving God, of course. Third, why try to be kind? Of course, because God is kind. Verse 32 says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It could well say, just as in Christ, God was compassionate, tenderhearted, kind to you. So why try to be kind? God is kind. Fourth, in chapter 5, verse 1, we're commanded by God to be imitators of God. Paul, Paul writes it, be imitators of God. This is a scripture-wide theme, as I'm sure you know. Leviticus says, be holy, for I am holy. And in the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We are to imitate. Paul says, his dearly loved children. Allison and I saw our across-the-street neighbor this week. She was out walking with her 10-year-old daughter. And I looked, and it was like, it was like watching two people, one taller, one shorter, with the exact same walk. The daughter obviously had watched and imitated and now had her mother's walk down pat. The mother's walk had become the daughter's walk. Probably never had even thought very much about it, but there it was through imitation. Paul says that's who we need to be when it comes to kindness. Imitators of the one who is perfectly kind, God. And fifth, Paul tells us to live a life of love just as Christ lived his life, verse 5, verse 1. Walk in the way of love. And showing kindness, of course, is a part of the life of love. And sixth, last one, why try to be kind? We learn in 5 verse 2 
that Jesus' life of kindness and love, as he gave himself up for us in kindness and love, was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice to his Father. Imagine that, giving God something that is fragrant, an aroma that pleases him, makes him smile with joy and contentment. On the one hand, we can grieve God with unkindness, but on the other hand, we can make him smile with our kindness as a fragrant offering. What a word picture that is for us. One of the things that that fragrant offering gets contrasted against in this passage, and it's kind of tricky to see it, but chapter 4, verse 29, the kind of the, the beginning of that little section there, the word unwholesome. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. The word in the original language has two meanings, and one of, like often words are, one is figurative, one is literal. The figurative one means unwholesome, and it's translated here as that. But the other meaning is literal, and it means dirty, rotten. It was the word in the Bible times for for how a dead, spoiled piece of fruit or vegetable would smell, something that's been just forgotten about, and it's just sitting there and all this, oh, oh, terrible smell. What a contrast between 5 verse 2 and 4 verse 29 then, between the fragrant offering of Christ's loving kindness and the spoiled fruit stench of unwholesome talk. A life of right back at your kindness is a fragrant offering to God, anything less, and our lives smell like spoiled fruit. The smell that makes you gag. What a vivid lesson. We try to be kind because a life without it makes you gag. It smells so badly, rather than being a fragrant offering to God. What a way Scripture opens that up to us. And so we come to the final question now, how can we be kind? We know it's difficult, yet God still requires it of us. Is it even possible? And beloved, here's where the good news comes in. Now listen, because this is so important. Being kind, it's not as difficult as it first appears because of what Christ has done. And two wonderful things he has done for us have made being kind a thousand times easier. First, as we read in Ephesians 4.24, that new self, that new attitude that we are to put on is not something we have to make first. We don't have to sit with material and needle thread and and try to make new clothes that we're to wear. Of course not. It's like getting new clothes as a gift at Christmas time or for your birthday. This new self's been created. This new creation has already been created and, and given to us, given to us. Hard parts been done. We've been made new by some wondrous combination of the work of Jesus on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've been dressed to the hilt in righteousness and holiness, the text says. We can be kind because we are all new people, new creations in Christ. So we, we must simply be what we are already. What a gift. 
that God has made us in Jesus Christ that way. Second, he's done this for us, put us in a community of faith, put us in his body, the church. Chapter 5, verse 2 tells us Christ gave himself up for us in love, but Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to whom? To one another. Forgiving whom? Each other. In other words, he put us in a community of right back at you kindness people, the church. He gathered us into his body, the church. Paul says in 425, we are all members of that one body, all the saints down through the ages, including all those in Faith Community Church, are part of his body. We're all standing between the double doors. Christ opened the first door, and he says, thank me for that. Open up the doors for each other, the second set, right back at you. Meaning you are in a proving ground. You are in a proving ground, beloved, for kindness. You know what a proving ground is, I'm sure. A prototype car, for example, is developed and designed and put together, and then out it goes to the proving ground. The big track or the obstacle course or other things to determine, will this prototype car that we've poured our money into in R&D for years now, will it perform in real life? Can it be operated safely? Will it prove itself? It must before it can hit the showrooms. That's the church. We are the proving ground for kindness. You are among people who expect kindness from themselves and from others. No fear in being kind to these folks. They'll be kind right back. These are the people who can give you courage to be kind to others out there. The ones who may or may not think kindness is a right back at you kind of thing. But that's okay. This gang here is backing you up. They'll open the door for you when you're tired from a week of having it slammed in your face. Because they're part of this body too, just like you. That's the environment God put us in. In his body, where kindness is the order of the day so that all of us may thrive. So that all of us may join in. So that all of us may do kindness and receive kindness back. The church is a kindness proving ground for us. Because what better place, what safer place to be kind than in his body, the church, a perfect proving ground for building others up first, for practicing what we preach, perfect training ground, perfect place for not getting burned by doing kindness, but even if we do, the perfect place for having our hurts healed. Will you be then a right back at you person when it comes to kindness? Jesus got it started. So you don't have to get it going. You just have to keep it going. Right back at you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us that is perfect and unlimited. Thank you 
that when you tell us to be kind, you have outfitted us already for it because of Jesus and his work on the cross. You tell us to be kind. You tell us to be what we are. Remind us of that each day. Remind us of that when we're tempted to say the unkind word or think the unkind thought or do the unkind thing. Remind us who we are, whose we are. Lord, we pray that in this place, we would love those opportunities to show kindness to each other, the body of Christ, and that we would be able through it to encourage one another to show our kindness to the world, to reach out with the gospel that way, in word, of course, but also in deeds of kindness. Remind us that's who you've called us to be. That's who we are already in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.